This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to WTS Waikato, Season 2. It's a radio show and podcast about the goings-on in our region under the new normal. I'm producer Gary Farrow. Fire and emergency has contained a peat fire between Hamilton and Futterfutter. Peat is an accumulation of ancient plant matter under the topsoil, often metres thick, and is widespread throughout the Waikato Basin. Before European settlement in Aotearoa, the peat was in wet swamps, so the potential flammability of the organic material was not a problem. But now, the water table in the ground has been lowered due to agriculture and climate change, so peat fires have been a steadily growing problem. At the time of this recording, it is just coming up on quarter past seven on a Friday morning and I'm standing outside on our driveway in the south of Hamilton. There's a real haze around the place and one would be forgiven for thinking it's Hamilton's classic fog which of course we see a fair bit of in the autumn and winter but this is a bit different. It has a little smell, almost a, a coal smell to the edge of it And I thought in the past few days that somebody around here must be burning on their old coal range to keep their house warm. But since then, we've heard from fire and emergency that an interesting phenomena is occurring uh, just outside of Hamilton, between Hamilton and Whatafata. It's peat fires. Apparently, a lot of this haze, which I am seeing right now, has been produced by that peat fire. I've been invited by the incident response team at Fire and Emergency to go down to the scene of the peat fire and have a chat with them about what is actually happening and what skills and equipment are necessary to fight a peat fire because it's very different to a normal fire. I'm just going to have my coffee and then I will head out to the site of the peat fire. So my name is David Brown. I'm a group manager within the Waikato district and also an assistant commander um, from an operational point of view. Um, My background is both in urban but majority of uh, wildfire. Peat is organic. Um, Over in England, um, for centuries, they used to cut what was peat blocks and burn those, just uh, peat bricks, just like logs of uh, wood. Mm. Um, And that's why you see up in in England and the islands of Scotland, etc., you'll see the old houses that still remain are quite blackened 
and it's the peat smoke um, that's come off that. However, like for New Zealand, our peat's a lot younger and um, where some areas you could cut it for exactly the same, but we, we don't do it. It's not really great for emissions. Um, it's organic, but um, yeah, you, you produce a lot of smoke as we've seen with the fire the last couple of few days. That with that organic nature and, and burning in ground, around soil, etc., can let off a lot of smoke um, from that. And that's what's possibly a lot more different to a normal scrub bush or um, pine forest fire is that it's all above ground. The majority of it is above ground. Doesn't mean that we don't have burning underground, but um, a lot of our, all the fuel is above the ground. Right, um, yeah. We're and we'll get deep-seated fires in which root systems etc all burn but peat is a lot more moist generally it holds moisture a little bit better um, not enough to extinguish but um, because it's like a green tree underground yeah that's dry if you, if you mm, it. Mm. so it's easily burnable but it's got soil around it which can help uh, make things a bit smokier because it's not bled uh, burning cleaner yeah um, and yeah that's it, that's probably the difference is that of, of a main fire this audio is from a 1946 newsreel district peat fires have broken out again in the peat swamps these fires are an annual menace for swampland farmers and this year with a rainless summer they're raging as never before trench digging is the only way to stop them for the peat burns underground at some places it comes to the surface to burn rushes, grass, fences, haystacks, houses and all farm property. As the fires range over thousands of acres in Rukuhir and Piako swamps, smoke pours across the whole Waikato. In the middle of it all, farmers fight on. For them, rain alone can bring relief. Peat fires occur in the Waikato because probably 60 or 70 percent of the Waikato basin is peat. Yeah. It's it's a large peat area and it's not just the Waikato Basin. We have peat extending all the way down um, into Waitoma District, uh, or to the Honga District, a little bit in Waitomo. Um, so it's just the nature of Aotearoa just developing because that's where I was going with England is has been formed for a, a lot longer than New Zealand. And therefore, the the peat has then deteriorated or, or got to a form, and where it's more solid um, and broken down more. Um, whereas New Zealand, obviously, we're a lot younger as a as a country by scientific means, um, and so therefore, we're still going through that process. So in some locations, there is ways in which farmers try and speed that up. And if you look at this paddock, so it's quite rough. Um, etc but as we go back you'll see that some of those paddocks that we drove past are very well developed and and they're actually lower if you physically right. line them up they're lower because they've compressed and um, yeah they've just done work on, mm. on, on that. So these little fires we can see along here um, in the trench yep. um, is that because the peat is a bit more exposed to oxygen at those points so the fire can 
happen? Oh, yes, but it's, it's so... We can see these smoky parts now because we've been through, we've cleaned up the fire site, uh, extinguishing it to within 98%. Um, but as it's underground, subterranean fire, there's areas in which we would not have 100%, we might be only at 40 or 60% in some locations, small locations. And that's why you'll see there's, uh, over the whole site, there's probably about 20 fires, little smoke um, chimneys coming up. And, and that's the best way to do it is to come back and then um, deal with those individually because it, you can't see everything. Mm. We can we can run a what's called a thermal imaging camera over this, and that's fine. But if we don't, if there is a crust of earth over the top of the fire, we won't pick it up. Right. Yeah. So those are those little chasms, etc. Um, that the fire's got into and we can't see and we've got to wait for it to come up will those produce the large chasms as I say they are quite dangerous and potentially but you'll get more sign Yeah. you typically get more sign coming out of the ground so we're, we're looking at just over here to our left there's a little smoke which is probably coming out of a hole of about 10 mil, maybe 20 mil diameter over there um, I mean that's not going to produce some two metre chasm without showing more sign of smoke. Right. Yes. Because um, the smoke would be wanting to escape, so it would be... Well, it would be burning more furious, uh, vigorously yes. in the ground because it had more heat. So yes. it will be throwing off a bit more and it would actually probably deteriorate the crust a bit more and so you get a bit more of an opening. So the, the sites in which we were having digger, deeper burns over this fire site for the last four days we're looking at a hole on the surface that uh, was probably half a metre, but underground it might have been a metre and a half. Right, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But, um, so, but the important thing is that we, um, whoever's looking after the site, we, we get on top of these smokers um, relatively quickly, um, and that's what the landowner for this fire has been extremely helpful. Uh, and is doing his part and coming down, inspecting the site, keeping an eye on the site, um, and also he has the means of extinguishing these smaller parts. We came in due to the fact that on Sunday it was beyond his means. Right. We had a two hectare fire along with approximately three to four hundred metres of drain that had to be dealt with for one person the fire would have been burning for months. Yeah. So, um, and and we appreciate that fog and smoke can be quite um, dangerous, and, and hence why we put press releases out about that with visibility, um, from a visibility point of view for driving. Um, so that was another reason we just need to get onto a close proximity to the um, Hamilton City, um, and any smoke has carbon in it and for people that may have some breathing difficulties um, can affect them but I'm not you'd have to seek medical advice from the Department of Health mm. um, at Waikato um, regarding what the impacts of it 
I, I can kind of fi- feel it sticking in the back of my throat, like when you're standing near somebody who's smoking a cigarette, for example, you know, how yes. it just hangs there. Yes. Um, that's that's all I feel. I don't have coughs or anything like that, but it's obvious It's obvious that it's in the air. Oh, I understand it's in the air, yeah, that's right, and um, it is organic. We're, we're not burning, it's not plastics or that mm. sort of material. It is an organic material. It's trees breaking down over millions of years um, that is burning. So it's very similar to a tree standing up, burning, mm. it's organic. Mm. Um, but that doesn't discount that we appreciate that. It does have impact on some people that may have heavy asthma, that sort of thing, um, which is, their yeah, smoking impacts on them as well. From a from a putting a peat fire out being difficult, yes. They're very difficult to put out. They, um, it is very labour intensive um, and require a lot of water. It does require a lot of water. We're very fortunate that we're able to source water on site. Um, we did have to gather some water from off-site uh, for the first day or two, but we were able to secure more water on-site as the fire went on. Um, but it is extremely labour-intensive. We had crews here working 10-hour um, days. Wow. Um, and having a, a break or two within that. Um, but they... They were extremely exhausted by the end of it. Mm, so how many people would have been involved in that? Oh, so we had... On the first day. So that's similar to what you would for a major structural fire? Oh, yeah, very much so, yeah. Um, we get to a point in which, um, yeah, we, we can throw everything at it, but there, there's a point in which we can source crew as well. Because this is a long-duration event, so we bring firefighters in and... Um, from around the Waikato to mm. help assist with that. Mm. Wow. And I suppose you'd never know really when it's going to pop up again, when another pocket's going to... Oh, yes. Yeah, so with the... So why are we having peat fires? Um, this peat fire is a great example that our... We've got a reduced water table system over numerous years of droughts or, or low rainfall, not necessarily triggering drought. Um, and we're first of May when this happened and we had not had significant rain for some time. So that's why I say the, the landowner had done everything right for mm-hmm. this site um, in that they dug an original trench around it. Um, when they burnt it, they monitored it and a few months later, it's popped back up again because the water table's dropped. Vegetation, there was rain during summer, which allowed vegetation growth, but it then died again and dried out, and then it got into the drain, and it's travelled down like water, at least path of least resistance, or most fuel for a fryer point of view, and it's travelled along. And you can see that while this this paddock here is not quite as developed as that maize paddock or one of those over there. The paddock that it got into was just a little bit scruffier, had a few more logs in it to allow it to establish right. and got away. Mm. If it had gone down the drain, if it was, if those, that paddock was like this, um, then it could have been only restricted to the drains. Mm. 
potentially. So, so again, it's like when you get your fire going at home in your fireplace, you require the different um, sizes and densities yeah. of... Yeah, to, to establish, yeah. And then, obviously, once you've got those coals, that heat, you can put log at, bigger logs on and bigger logs on mm. because you've got those, that heat source there available. Mm. And mm. that's what it's got, it had the heat source with it burning in itself, so mm, yeah. Mm. With the crews that we, we have firefighting, we, we we have a range of crews. So we, we have our career firefighters um, who do an amazing job, and as I said, came through um, and, and initially took the call. And then we also have our volunteers, which do an amazing job as well. Um, they came in, uh, we have we had career, uh, sorry, we had crews from um, Porongia, we had crews from um, Chartwell Volunteers, so we have a volunteer brigade at Chartwell as well that do a range of activities. Uh, we had Narawai here, we had Te Aumudu, we had uh, Onimana um, and Maramurua, and um, we also have partnerships with um, our with other organisations such as DOC and so DOC were able to it was great being able to get crews from DOC from around uh, the Waikato from Tarapa and uh, Coromandel and from Hauraki as well so um, it's not just fire and emergency it's a partnership with uh, a few organisations when it comes to these large, large scale uh, events yeah, so another way to assist with um, fighting out fires or, or preparedness for fires, um, well, not fighting fires, yeah, preparedness, um, and, and ensuring that you're doing the right thing is checking if you need a fire permit um, or what are the requirements during a restricted or open season or a prohibited season. The easiest way to do that is to go to a website which is Check It's All Right to Light. So it's www.checkitsallrighttolightnz and from there that'll give you all the information that you require for opening a fire, uh, lighting a fire in the open air. Um, there are some exemptions at times, i.e. cultural cooking of hangis and umus, which allow to be done um, throughout the year. But if you go to that site, it will actually, you'll be able to type in your address and you'll know then and there do you need a permit or not? Um, so that's probably the big, biggest thing is, uh, apart from with burning peat on hard stand, is checking is it the season that we're, we're able to do, we're able to light the fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Always residential buildings, we need to have smoke alarms and you need a vac, an evac plan, evacuation plan. Um, for you and your family. Um, as I mentioned, the, the first important thing with any fire, whether it be in the building or out in the um, out on the landscape, on the farm, protect you and your family first. Get out, um, get out of the way of the fire, out in a, a vegetation world, um, get out of your structure. Um, now, structure might be a bit harder, that's why you should always have evacuations planned for you and your family. If you had a fire in this certain location, where am I going to go? And, and have a meeting point. Um, could be a letterbox, could be a, a gate post that 
of, of your section, um, have that meeting point, then ring 111. Yeah, we're one right here for the farm. Yeah, yep, and so we, uh, that's, that's probably the, the biggest thing is um, plan for that. Things can be replaced, but look after you and your family. For more information about the biological background of Pete, I paid a visit to the University of Waikato. Hi Gary, my name's Dave Campbell. I'm an Associate Professor at the University of Waikato and I teach and research in environmental sciences. So I'm a member of the Environmental Research Institute. Now part of what you're knowledgeable about is about the peatlands around Hamilton and the Waikato, mm -hmm. which uh, people may not know are significant at the moment. They're the reason that there's a lot of smoke shrouding the southern mm -hmm. part of Hamilton. Mm -hmm. um, would you like to explain to us first off what peat is? Well peat is the accumulated remains of plants that once grew in a wetland environment and as they grew and then died and deposited litter, that litter got preserved in the really wet environment. So uh, a wetland, most people know uh, of, of the term swamp and often people apply that term to all wetlands, but really swamps are wetlands that often form close to river systems. So you can imagine there's lots of flooding and sediments uh, from erosion of, of soil from upstream and they tend to have a lot of nutrients associated with them. So you get really rich plant communities like um, native plant communities would be flax and kakatea. Um, those wetlands don't accumulate a lot of peat because there's, there's so much, the, the decomposition of that organic matter is so fast that it all decays. Um, to get peat forming, you really need to move away from the rivers and look at uh, wetlands which used to occupy depressions or valley heads in the, in the Hamilton area thousands of years ago. The drainage got blocked and so they became quite wet places and so the plants that grew there, uh, their dead remains got preserved and the nutrient concentrations in those areas were really low so the microbial activity was quite low. So the plant material tended to stay um, preserved and over thousands of years, metres and metres depth of this preserved plant material accumulated. In places like the Hauraki Plains at Kapurtai Bog, which is this amazing 100 square kilometre uh, wetland, the peat depth is up to 14 metres, which is incredibly deep. Um, these peatlands um, used to occupy a large part of the area around Hamilton to uh, the east of Gordonton is the Kolmakarau peatland which was over 200 square kilometres and peat depth depths again probably 10 to 12 metres. Um, just to the southwest of Hamilton is Rukahia, the Rukahia peatland uh, and, and that is 70 square kilometres of very deep peat most of all of which is farmed now so there's none of the original wetland vegetation and further south um, just to the southeast of Ohaupo and between um, just north of the road that connects Te Awamutu and Cambridge there's the Moana Tuatua peatland which is again 70 square kilometres and there's only one and a half kilometre squared that's intact in its original vegetation. We have a technical way of describing peatlands and it's nutrient poor and nutrient rich and there's a lot of confusion about that because people look at 
uh, growing crops on peat or grazing dairy cattle and think oh it must be nutrient rich because look at all this lush grass a lot of that's happening because a lot of nutrients are being added to it but uh, when peat forms it's not just the carbon that made up the plants which is being preserved it's also the nutrients that were in those plants now while the peatlands were quite nutrient poor in that 10 or 12 or 14 meters depth of peat you've got an awful lot of nutrients it's just not rich at any one place when the decision was made to drain our peatlands the water table was lowered so they were immediately taken out of their wetland state and the upper part of the peat dried out and just like your compost at home uh, starts decomposing all the microbes get into it they generate a whole lot of co2 and they start converting your compost or your your food scraps into effectively soil um, that dark black compost that's very similar to what happens to the peat and so when you go to a, a, um, a farm that's on peat soils and you dig it up it's almost completely black that's not the color of the original peat the original peat was a beautiful golden brown color but when it oxidizes it goes black and that's all the carbon um, coming out of the organic matter a large amount of the carbon gets converted to co2 so one of the big problems with draining peat is you get vast emissions of co2 our measurements have shown that in a typical year um, agricultural peat under pasture releases or emits between 20 and 30 tonnes of CO2 per hectare per year, which is a huge amount. And the, the lower layers of peat, yeah. which are still in the water table, yeah. they would be preserving yeah. a massive amount of, of, carbon. of carbon. It's still in organic matter. Right. But of course, as the top part of the peat oxidises, and it also shrinks because organic matter can't support itself. So if you draw, withdraw the water, just like a swimmer in a swimming pool, you'll end up resting on the bottom of the pool. The, um, the peat shrinks or subsides and um, that exacerbates the problem. So you get the subsidence, oxidation, and, you get, and then the, the farmers have to go out deep in their drains and the water table keeps on dropping over time. So more and more of that peat is exposed so um, there would be oxygen. A, there would be an impossible amount, or you know, not an impossible amount, an absolutely huge amount of carbon down there in the ground, yeah. ready to be released as carbon dioxide that's right. as the water table drops. Yeah, and that's why peat is a really problematic soil, especially now we're thinking hard about land use and greenhouse gas emissions, and farmers are looking at their. Um, their management practices and trying to figure out how they can farm profitably but reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So that's why farmers are looking at planting woodlots, woodlots to offset uh, the emissions from ruminant animals like cows and sheep or for using fertilisers which generate carbon dioxide or nitrous oxide, trying to mitigate their, um, their practices. But if you're farming on peat, there's such a huge amount of uh, both carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases coming out of it that it's really, well, just about impossible to mitigate unless you convert that peat back into a wetland. That's a big challenge. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of WTS Waikatoa. If you liked what you heard, you can follow the show on Facebook and find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.